This is your boy Dak from the 410 Gaming Podcast, and you are currently listening to the California Dreaming Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. This episode of California Dreaming is brought to you by Blueberry. Creating a podcast isn't that simple. It's more than just recording yourself and uploading it. To get your show to be everything that you want it to be, you're going to need a little more than that. You need easy, reliable hosting so your time can be spent creating your content. The most accurate download stats so you know that you're reaching your audience that you're wanting to. And a web page that makes setting up totally easy on you and won't take up too much of your valuable time. And Blueberry offers all of this and more for hosts and aspiring hosts alike. Social media hosting, a fully integrated WordPress website with their PowerPress sites. So if you already have a podcast, or you've always dreamed about starting one, head over to orbitaljigsaw.com slash dream to sign up. And the first month is on me. The Blueberry support team is available to walk you through the steps of migrating your show without losing any subscribers, or to help you get started in the process of launching your new show. With the first month for free, using promo code DREAM, you've got no excuses. And now, on to the show. Before we get started... I need to provide you with this warning. This is the second part of a three-part series. If you haven't listened to part one, which is episode 50, you might want to pause this here and listen to that one first, and then come back to this one. Also, this story includes graphic details, including gun violence, stabbings, and innocent people being run down by a moving vehicle, and may be disturbing to listen to. Much of the content of these three episodes will contain the writings of the perpetrator of this crime, and it contains details of vitriol and hateful words, filled with derogatory and disparaging language aimed mostly towards women, but also infused with themes surrounding racism and homophobia, much of which I'm going to paraphrase or omit altogether. There is also sexually explicit content as well, so this would not be suitable for young listeners. Nor is it suitable for work. Listener discretion is advised. So, dreamers, in the last episode, we went over the first 13 years of Elliot Rogers' life. We got a glimpse of what was going on inside his mind as he reflected upon his formative years. From the beginning, it seemed like nothing should have gone awry. He was born with all of the advantages of being the child of a relatively prominent filmmaker and doting parents. But as time goes on, he slowly deteriorates. And his parents, well, they seem comfortable being on the fringes of their son's slow descent. Either that, or they didn't see what was going on with their boy, or they didn't want to see it. They were simply wrapped up in their own lives and careers. Maybe a combination of it all. So now... Rogers is 13 years old and on the cusp of puberty. I enjoyed the rest of summer as best I could. When the summer ended, I cried a little. It was such a great summer. I went on a vacation. I saw lots of friends. I played lots of games and enjoyed life to the fullest. Of course, I didn't know at the time that this was going to be the last good summer in my life, but I still cried, as I always do after a joyful experience comes to an end. 
eighth grade began on a very mellow note. For the first couple months, I continued on with the life I've been living and things seemed okay. But things were getting more intense every year as we grew older and I didn't want to grow up. I wanted to live the life that I was comfortable with. I wanted to live in a world of fairness and I tried not to accept that it would soon come to an end. One day, I was looking up things on the internet about Warcraft 3. That's when I found out about a new, revolutionary Warcraft game coming out called World of Warcraft. I didn't think much of it at the time, ignorant of the effect it would have on my life later. I never thought I would get bored of the highly entertaining games there, but after playing them so much on my own, I was surprised when I was getting a bit bored. Good times always come to an end, and I always had a hard time accepting this fact. One time, while I was alone at Planet Cyber, I saw an older teenager watching pornography. I saw in detail a video of a man having sex with a hot girl. The video showed him sticking his penis inside the girl's vagina. I didn't know anything about sex at the time. I barely even knew what sex was. I was slowly starting to develop sexual feelings for hot girls, but I didn't know what to do with them. To see this video really traumatized me. I had no idea what I was seeing. I couldn't imagine human beings doing such things with each other. The sight was shocking, traumatizing, and arousing. All of these feelings mixed together took a great toll on me. I walked home and cried by myself a bit. I felt too guilty about what I saw to even talk to my parents about it. I was quite shaken for a few days. This was among the very first glimpses I had of sex. Finding out about sex is one of the things that truly destroyed my life. Sex. The very word fills me with hate. Once I hit puberty, I would always want it, like any other boy. I would always hunger for it. I would always covet it. I would always fantasize about it. But I would never get it. Not getting any sex is what will shape the very foundation of my miserable youth. This was a very dark day. Boys at my school started talking about it. Finding out about sex was just the beginning of my horrific downfall. When Christmas came, I told my father that I would like a new computer game. Father took me out shopping for my new present. At Best Buy, I saw the game World of Warcraft. It had just come out a few weeks earlier. I picked up the box and looked at it for a few minutes. The game looked amazing and alluring. So I decided to choose World of Warcraft as my Christmas present. And it really blew my mind. My first experience with World of Warcraft was like stepping into another world of excitement and adventure. It was a video game world, but they made it so realistic that it was like living another life, a more exciting life. My life was getting more and more depressing at that point, and World of Warcraft would fill that void. It felt refreshing and relieving. My mother decided to move to an apartment in Woodland Hills. 
I reacted indignantly. An apartment. I had never lived in an apartment before, and I always thought of apartments as being poor and low class. Leaving the blue house on Glade Avenue was hard. I had so many good times there with my friends, and to move out of it at the very time that I stopped seeing those friends, it was quite emotional. I cried on our last day there. My mother's new apartment was not walking distance from Planet Cyber, and I was a bit embarrassed to show that I lived in an apartment, so I stopped seeing any friends. The upside to moving to the apartment was that my mother acquired high-speed internet. I was able to play World of Warcraft on her computer, along with Halo 2 on the Xbox Live. This was the point that my social life ended completely. I would never have a satisfying social life ever again. It was the beginning of a very lonely period of my life, in which my only social interactions would be through online video games, with the sole exception being my friendship with James. The ability to play video games with people online temporarily filled that social void. I got caught up in it, and I was too young and naive to realize the severity of how far I'd fallen. I was too scared to accept it. This loss of a social life, coupled with the advent of puberty, caused me to die a little inside. It was too much for me to handle, and I stopped caring about my life and my future. I even stopped caring about what people thought of me. I hid myself away in the online world of Warcraft, a place where I felt comfortable and secure. Okay, dreamers, so the next part of Roger's manifesto goes into ages 13 to 17, and he calls it Stuck in the Void. Now that I was able to play World of Warcraft at my mother's house with no limitations, aside from school and homework, I became very addicted to the game and my character in it. It was all I cared about. I was so immersed in the game that I would no longer care about what people thought of me. I only saw school as something that took time away from World of Warcraft. I became very bored at school, mainly due to the fact that I was still that invisible quiet kid. To alleviate this boredom, I started to act weird and annoying just to gain attention. I became known as the weird kid. I had my online games to distract me from the harsh realities of life that I was too scared to face. The only time I did care was when a group of popular 7th grade girls started teasing me, which hurt a lot. One of the girls was a pretty blonde. She must have thought I was an ultimate loser. I hated her so much, and I will never forget her. I started to hate all girls because of this. I saw them as mean, cruel, and heartless creatures that took pleasure from my suffering. Sumaya gave birth to a baby boy that they named Jazz. It was an exciting day. I actually had a brother. It was hard to believe. Technically, he was my half-brother, but I would always term him as my brother. I wasn't as impacted by his birth as I expected myself to be possibly because I was so caught up in my own personal and emotional changes that I was going through at that stage. We had gone to my father's house on Easter Sunday. He took us to a party held by some friends of his. They had three children, an oldest daughter, two years younger than me, and twins, 
and a boy and a girl who are my sister's age. We played with them splendidly. But soon, after they came over a few more times, I began having uneasy feelings of nervousness and fear around the two girls, mainly because I thought all girls hated me. The way that I was treated by girls at my school played a big part in my resentment towards them all of this time. This resentment would only grow larger the more I was treated unfairly by the female gender. As middle school approached its ultimate end, I was having a miserable time there. I was extremely unpopular, widely disliked, and viewed as the weirdest kid in school. I had to act weird to gain attention. I was tired of being the invisible shy kid. Infamy is better than total obscurity. The teasing I received was bittersweet. It felt horrible to be teased and bullied. It caused me a lot of pain and anger. But at the same time, I got a kick out of getting such attention. It felt good to be confident enough to pick fights with the popular skateboarder kids. It was either that or continue to be ignored by everyone like I was in 6th and 7th grade. I never knew how to gain positive attention, only negative. My experience during middle school really darkened my view of the world, and it would only get darker from then on as I suffered more and more. The way I was treated by girls at this time, especially by that bitch, and her name was redacted, sparked an intense fear of girls. The funny part of this is that I had a secret crush on her. She was the first girl I ever had a crush on and never admitted it to anyone. To be teased and ridiculed by the girl I had a crush on wounded me deeply. The world that I grew up thinking was bright and blissful was over. I was living in a depraved world and I didn't want to accept it. I didn't want to give any thought to it. That's why I immersed myself entirely into my online games like World of Warcraft. I felt safe there. I was so obsessed with playing World of Warcraft that I never gave much serious thought to the fact that I would have to go to high school soon. As the end of middle school neared, the prospects started to loom over me more and more. At one moment, I pictured what my life in high school would be like based on how things have been going for me in middle school. It was not a bright picture. I didn't want to have to deal with the cruelty of girls in high school, and I imagined that it would be much worse than anything I'd ever experienced. I begged my parents to send me to Crespi Carmelite High School, a Catholic all-boys school. Father took me there for a tour, and it didn't look so bad. It was a very prestigious private school. At least I wouldn't have to deal with any fear of girls there. We submitted an application. After a few weeks, I received the news that I was accepted to Crespi. Eighth grade graduation was a nightmare. Everyone was required to go up on the stage and speak to the whole audience. We had to say our name and tell everyone what school we were planning on going to. As I lined up, I could feel myself shaking. I was scared to even speak out in front of the classroom. 
to speak into a microphone to hundreds of people was too much. I didn't understand how everyone else seemed to be fine with it. I envied their bravery. And when my name was called, I didn't want to go, but it was required of me, and I pushed myself to do it. I walked up to the microphone and nervously said, My name is Elliot, and I plan on going to Crespi High School. I heard my own voice in the speakers, and everyone was staring at me. It made me cringe. I quickly walked away for the next person to go up. It was over. Eighth grade was over. Middle school was over. The thought of going to high school sent a shiver through me. I put it in the back of my mind to deal with later. I didn't feel proud. I didn't feel like I accomplished anything. Middle school, though it started out okay in the first two years, ended up being a disaster. For the summer break, I planned on spending the whole time playing World of Warcraft and forgetting about everything else. I reached the highest level on my World of Warcraft character, level 60. In just a week into my summer break, my mother told me that my father and Samoya were going to Morocco and I would be forced to go with them. This news upset me tremendously. I then asked how long it would be, and I was told it would be eight weeks. Eight weeks. I could not believe what I was hearing. I threw a big tantrum. That would take up the entire summer and the first two weeks of high school. I wouldn't be able to play World of Warcraft at all for two whole months. The prospect devastated me. And as I expected, the journey there was a disaster. For my 14th birthday, Samoya organized a small party at her father's house. Most of the guests were her Moroccan friends, and some of them didn't even know that the party was for my birthday. I was a bit annoyed by this. They had a cake arranged for me, and when it was brought out, everyone gathered to wish me a happy birthday. That would be the last time I spent my birthday with more people than just family. I was amazed that I was actually 14. 14 sounded like such a big number. I didn't feel 14. I still felt like a kid. And in all appearances, I was. Father couldn't even make it out for my birthday. I was a bit upset about this. He came a few days after it. At one time towards the end of the trip, I was shown some European porn videos in the middle of the night. I could observe the act of sex in much more detail than that one glimpse I'd had at Planet Cyber. I didn't want to look, but my curiosity got the better of me. To see a video of human beings do such weird and unspeakable things with each other revolted me. I couldn't understand what I was seeing, and yet I noticed I was feeling aroused. I felt desire to do those things, to have sex with the naked women that I saw in the video. It was a funny feeling that overwhelmed my whole body. I could feel my penis getting hard. This is when I noticed that I was finally going through puberty. Heaven save me. This trip was way too long, and towards the end of it, I felt depressed and homesick. All I wanted was to go back home 
and play World of Warcraft. And yet I had to accept that once I did get home, I had to start high school right away. I suppose that being able to play World of Warcraft again would make up for that though. 14 years old now, I felt a wave of relief when we arrived back in the United States. I only had one free day before school had to start. When I got back to my mother's house, I gave her a big hug. That was the longest time I'd been away from my mother. After that, I immediately asked if I could go on her computer and play my game. I logged on to my character, which was just the way I'd left it two months earlier. And the dreaded day arrived all too soon. I had to start high school. School had already begun while I was still in Morocco, so I would still be the new kid again. That made it so much worse. My father drove me there on the first day, and when we got there, I was intimidated by all the huge high school boys, and I cried for a few minutes in the car, telling my father that I was too scared to get out. I had to go, and eventually I did. And as expected, I failed to make any new friends. I was so overwhelmed by the brutality of the world that I just didn't care anymore. On the very first week, I had my first experience of true bullying. Not just the teasing that I had at Pinecrest. Some horrible 12th graders saw me as a target because I looked like a 10-year-old and I was physically weak. They threw food at me at lunchtime and after school. It enraged me, but I was too scared to do anything about it. What kind of horrible, depraved people would poke fun at a boy younger than them who just entered high school, I thought to myself. After the first few weeks of high school, I concluded that my time at Crespi would not be pleasant at all. I withdrew further into the world of Warcraft, neglecting my homework and spending all of my free time playing it. As a late birthday present, Father bought me a new laptop that was able to run World of Warcraft. It wasn't a very powerful laptop, but it performed adequately. This enabled me to have more time playing my game. During Father's Week, Samoya was always on my back about how much time I spent on World of Warcraft. But since my room was on the bottom floor, secluded from the rest of the house, I was able to sneak as much time on it as I could. My life at Crispy grew even worse. Everyone knew how weird I was at Pinecrest, and people in my own grade started to tease me. They found out that I didn't like being called a skateboarder, and it was true. Because I failed to become good at skateboarding, I developed a hatred for the sport. And whenever somebody called me a skateboarder, it reminded me of my failure, and I got very angry. The whole school started calling me it just to anger me and along with other insulting names they teased me because I was afraid of girls and they started calling me derogatory names people also like to steal my belongings and run away in an attempt to get me to chase after them and I did chase after them in a furious rage but I was so little and weak that they thought it was comical I hated everyone at that school so much it got to the point where I had to wait in a quiet corner for the hallways to clear before I could walk to class. I also took long routes around the school to avoid bullies. 
My parents began to consider not letting me continue there after ninth grade. When winter break came, I felt like I had just landed on a peaceful island after swimming through a horrific storm. It was such a fine relief. It was during this winter break that I experienced my first masturbation and ejaculation. It was one of the most peculiar and memorable experiences of my life. At this point, I was officially going through the stages of puberty, and I had lots of sexual urges. I often fantasized about hot naked girls while rubbing my penis against my mattress at night. And one time while doing this, I felt an intense stirring numbness around my fully erect penis, and it extended all over my body. It felt magical and ecstatic, and I kept rubbing on the mattress. And that's when the orgasm happened, and I couldn't believe how much pleasure I felt from that. What was happening to me? I thought to myself with nervous excitement. It was like nothing I had ever seen or experienced before. Something completely out of my world. I felt guilty afterwards, and I refrained telling anyone about it. But I did start to masturbate on a regular basis. I developed a very high sex drive, and it would always remain like this. This was the start of hell for me. Going through puberty utterly doomed my existence. It condemned me to live a life of suffering and unfulfilled desires. Even at that young age, I felt depressed because I wanted sex and I felt unworthy of it. I didn't think I was ever going to experience sex in reality, and I was right. I never did. I was finally interested in girls, but there was no way I was going to ever get them. And so, my starvation began. The boys in my grade talked about sex a lot more. Some of them even told me they had sex with their girlfriends. This was the most devastating and traumatizing thing I'd ever heard in my life. Boys having sex at my age of 14? I couldn't fathom it. How is it that they were able to have such intimate and pleasurable experiences with girls while I could only fantasize about it? I frequently started asking myself, this was an all-boys school. How in the hell were those boys even able to meet girls to have sex with? I wondered. I hoped that they were lying. I hoped against all hope. Hearing that really shook me to the core. Words cannot describe how much hatred and envy I felt for those boys. That hatred would only fester the more I suffered from my sexual starvation. I was too scared to tell anyone about it, and I hid it well for a time. These recent events caused me to withdraw even further away from the world. I drowned all of my misery in my online games. World of Warcraft was the only thing I had to live for. My grades at Crespi dropped drastically. I just didn't care anymore. I hated that school. I didn't think about my future. The only thing I gave any serious thought to was my World of Warcraft character. I was obsessed. After being bullied so much in 8th and ninth grade, I became even more shy and timid than ever I was in my life. I felt very small, weak, and above all, worthless. I cried by myself every day at school. 
The very last day of ninth grade was the worst. I was having PE in the gym and one of my obnoxious classmates was bragging about having sex with his girlfriend. I defiantly told him that I didn't believe him. So he played a voice recording of what sounded like him and his girlfriend having sex. I could hear a girl saying his name over and over again while she panted frantically. He grinned at me smugly. I felt so inferior to him and I hated him. And it was in that moment I was called to the office. When I got there, my mother was waiting for me to take me home. I cried heavily as I told her about what happened earlier. That was the last day I ever set foot at Crespi Carmelite High School. Crespi was finished. I thought I could finally relax. Little did I know that the worst was yet to come. My parents shocked me with very horrible news. They were planning on sending me to Taft High School. Taft had five times as many students as Crespi. It was a public school. It had girls in it. And it had a bad reputation. I had never been so scared in my entire life. How could they do this to me after knowing what I went through at Crespi? Taft High School would eat me alive and spit me out. I felt so betrayed by my parents. On top of that, they told me I had to go to summer school at Taft very soon. I failed a few classes at Crespi and I had to make up for them. The summer was supposed to be a time of peace and relaxation. This was turning out to be the worst summer of my life. I went with my parents to the Taft orientation event and it was a horrific experience. I felt so dismayed at how large the school was and how intimidating all of the students were. I even begged my parents to send me back to Crespi because I knew Taft would be much worse. Toxic is the word that describes my first day of 10th grade at Taft High School. It was a toxic nightmare. Every single second of it was agony. I continued to beg my parents not to make me go, but it was to no avail. My father drove me there and I didn't want to get out of his car. He almost had to drag me out. I somehow found the will to put one foot in front of the other and walk towards that awful, ugly front building. The first week of Taft was a living hell. I was bullied many times, even though I didn't know anyone there. After being so used to wearing a polo shirt and khaki pants as a uniform to private school, I continued to dress like that even after leaving Crespi. I didn't give any thought to how nerdy I looked. I was too withdrawn, like a turtle stuck in a shell. I was still in the process of going through puberty at the time, so I still looked and sounded like a 10-year-old. Such a persona attracted zero attention from girls, of course. But it did attract bullies, like moths to a flame. I was completely and utterly alone. No one knew me or extended a hand to help me. I was an innocent, scared little boy trapped in a jungle full of malicious predators, and I was shown no mercy. Some boys randomly pushed me against the lockers as they walked past me in the hall. 
One boy who was tall and had blonde hair called me a loser right in front of his girlfriends. Yes, he had girls with them. Pretty girls. And they didn't seem to mind that he was such an evil bastard. In fact, I bet they liked him for it. This is how girls are, and I was starting to realize it. This was what truly opened my eyes to how brutal the world is. The meanest, most depraved men come out on top, and the women flock to these men. Their evil acts are rewarded by women, while all the good, decent men are laughed at. It is sick, twisted, and wrong in every way. I hated the girls even more than the bullies because of this. The sheer cruelty of the world around me was so intense that I would never recover from the mental scars. Any experience I ever had before never traumatized me as much as this. I couldn't do it anymore. On the morning of the second week at Taft, I broke down and cried in front of my mother and begged her not to make me go to that horrible place. I was so scared that I felt physically sick. I continued crying in the car on the way there, and my mother gave in. Instead of taking me to school, we went to a cafe in Calabasas where we had a talk. I tried to explain how much suffering I was having there. She just could not take me to school after that. When we were finished, she drove me to my father's house and told him about what happened. They agreed to take me out of Taft. I didn't go to school for a month while my parents decided what to do with me. I took advantage of the time and recovered at home playing online games. The pain and suffering I had to endure at Taft was all over, but the scars would remain. I tried to forget about it as much as I could, and I took a deep breath and relaxed. After a month of recovery, my parents took me to two continuation high schools, which operated like homeschool because you only had to spend three hours a day there and the rest of the work at home. The one we preferred was called Independence High School, and they decided to send me there. I did not like any of the students there, as they were all slobs with the exception of two or three boys. There wasn't a major concern, because I didn't care about having a social life at that point. All I wanted to do was hide away from the cruel world by playing my online games, and Independence High School gave me the perfect opportunity to do just that. I only had to be at school for three or four hours per day, and the rest of the work was very easy with teachers available to help me with anything. After those short school hours, I had all the time in the world to do whatever I wanted, and I spent it playing World of Warcraft. One drawback was that I had to take the bus to school because my parents couldn't pick me up at such an early time of day. Though it was embarrassing, I didn't care about appearances anymore, so I didn't make a big deal out of it. This was the perfect setup for a World of Warcraft addict. After school, every day, I fully indulged myself into my addiction to World of Warcraft. My first year at Independence High School came to an end very quickly. Nothing eventful really happened to me there, and I barely interacted with anyone. I would just go there for my required time, do my work, and go home. I was too absorbed in my game to care about anything else. At my father's house in the beginning of summer, I was introduced to someone who I would hate for a very long time. My dad's friend got married and had two stepchildren, Leo and Paulina. Leo was 12 and Paulita was a year younger than me, 
My fear of girls made me keep my distance from Paulina. She was a total bitch anyway, and her attitude would only get worse. She is a true representation of everything I hate about women. When I first met Leo, I didn't think much of him. He was only 12 years old. I had no inkling of how much I would envy him later on in life. Soon enough, my jealousy of Leo began to manifest. He had just moved to the United States from Germany, and yet he was already able to make lots of friends and had a great social life. He was tall, good-looking, blonde-haired, and a skateboarder. The type of person I've always envied and wanted to be. I celebrated my 16th birthday at my mother's house. She bought me an Xbox 360, which had just been released. I didn't play it yet, though, because the only game I wanted it for was Halo 3, which was set to come out in November. 16. What an age to be. I still felt like I was 12. Most teenagers will start driving at this age. I couldn't even fathom myself driving. The thought of it scared me. As summer's end drew closer, I became more and more depressed. My life had gotten so lonely and playing World of Warcraft barely made up for it. 11th grade at Independence began. I still took the bus to school as I had no desire to learn how to drive at that age. I was way too afraid of even trying it out. Driving is something that adults were supposed to do, and I still felt like a child. I continued on with my lonely routine of doing my schoolwork in the morning and playing World of Warcraft. I gave no thought to my future at all. I just lived in the moment, in my comfort zone. My sex drive was at its peak at this age. When I got back from school, I had to masturbate. The urge was too strong. I often built elaborate fantasies in my mind that I had a hot, blonde-haired girlfriend to have passionate sex with. It was almost like having an imaginary girlfriend. I told no one about this. In fact, I didn't talk to my parents about my sexual development. I felt too guilty and embarrassed about it. Whenever they probed me, I lied to them and told them that I had no sex drive. My mother once caught me looking at pictures of girls online and I frantically tried to convince her that I stumbled upon those pictures by accident. I also noticed that my voice was getting deeper, and I was starting to sound like an actual teenager. And the last stages of puberty were finally over. Father suffered a deep financial setback because of a failed movie. Could things get any worse for me? As a result, my father abruptly cut off all child support payments he was making to my mother. My mother was forced to find a better paying job to make up for it, and she had to move out of her house to a condominium close by. Thankfully, she got a job offer at Elemental Productions. This new job enabled my mother to make enough money to live comfortably. I missed mother living in an actual house, but at least the new place was a condominium with more luxuries than the apartment we once lived in. The condominium had three bedrooms, and my room had its own bathroom. The bad part about this is it was located in Canoga Park, a low-class area. I hated telling people that my mother lived in Canoga Park. It was highly embarrassing for me. But alas, in that lonely and depressing stage of my life, there was no one really to tell, and I barely cared about what people thought of me anyway. I was a complete dork, stuck in my own world, 
In the spring, something horrible would happen that would haunt me forever. We met up with my father's friends at the cantina in Calabasas, and a friend of Paulina's was there with them, named Nicole, a girl around my age. She sat next to Leo the whole time, and by the end of dinner, the two of them were making out. Twelve-year-old Leo was making out with a girl who was almost my age. Not only does Leo have a better social life than me, he was now making out with girls at age 12. They made out for a long time, and I could see them tongue kiss. They knew I was watching with envy, and they still did it. I bet that lucky bastard took great satisfaction from my envy. There I was, watching a boy four years younger than me experience everything I'd long for. To kiss a girl. To be worthy of a girl's attraction. On that day, I developed a vicious hatred for Leo that would never go away. Another horrible experience concerning my father's friends occurred. We were having dinner at their house, like we usually did. And at the end of dinner, a few of Paulina's friends came over. They were all popular, good-looking girls and boys. They were the kind of people who I'd always desired to be a part of but never was able to fit in with. Popular kids. Cool kids. When I heard them talking about their awesome lives and their parties, I had a breakdown right then and there. I realized how much I'd been missing out in my life, and I cried in front of everyone. I felt like I would never have a life as good as theirs. I told everyone there that I wanted to commit suicide. 11th grade at Independence ended. Like the previous year, my school went by in a blur. I didn't talk to anyone. I barely considered it a part of my life. I just did the work that was required to do while I was there waiting for the bus to take me home. Once summer started, I sank into a major depression. My feelings of inferiority were intensified by the recent events with my father's friends. They were family friends, but now they represented the very thing that destroyed my whole life and took away my happiness. It was in this time that I was just beginning to realize with a lot of clarity how truly unfair my life is. I compared myself to other teenagers and I became very angry that they were able to experience all the things that I desired while I was left out of it. I never had the experience of going to a party with other teenagers. I never had my first kiss. I never held hands with a girl. I never lost my virginity. In the past, I felt so inferior and weak from all of the bullying that I just accepted my lonely life and dealt with it while playing World of Warcraft. But at this point, I started questioning why I was condemned to suffer such misery. There was nothing I could really do about my unfair life situation. I felt completely powerless. The only way I could deal with it was to continue to drown all of my troubles with online games. But my laptop was getting slower and slower. It wasn't a very powerful laptop, but it was the only computer I had to play World of Warcraft on. This was really frustrating to me because eventually it became so slow that it ruined my gaming experience. I kept pestering my mother and father to get me a faster laptop that was more efficient for gaming. For my 17th birthday, my parents agreed to split the funds for a new laptop. My mother took me to Best Buy to choose it out, and I found the perfect one. It was larger, highly efficient, a dark-colored laptop designed for gaming. 
17 years old. I became even more depressed than I had been at the beginning of summer. I was back at my routine of World of Warcraft. When 12th grade began, I made a vow to finish high school before the month of March. The high school system at Independence allows students to work at their own pace. So the more extra work I did, the sooner I could graduate. I was always depressed and bored for the first few hours of the day I had to spend there, and I disliked all of the degenerate low-class students there. They repulsed me. I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could, and it became my goal for the year. At the end of school time every day, I asked my teachers to give me extra homework assignments, and I stopped myself from playing World of Warcraft until I completed them. James, Steve, and Mark were the closest thing I had to a group of friends. I play with them online almost every day. We had so many adventures in World of Warcraft as a group, and yet I felt like the outcast of the group. Steve and Mark only considered me an online friend, never a real friend. I found out that the three of them held World of Warcraft meetups at one of their houses a lot, and they never invited me. Sometimes I would be playing with them online and I would find out that they were together in real life and I was the only one left out. Whenever they did this, I acted bitter towards them through the game, but they didn't even care. Even in World of Warcraft, I was an outcast, alone and unwanted. The lonelier I felt, the angrier I became. And the anger slowly built up inside me throughout all of the dark years. Even after the release of the new World of Warcraft expansion, I noticed that the game's ability to alleviate my sense of loneliness started to fade. I began to feel lonely, even while playing it, and I often broke down into tears in the middle of my World of Warcraft sessions. I began to ask myself what was the point of playing this game anymore. I spent less and less time playing it. One day I found some posts on the internet about teenagers having sex and I was once again reminded of the life I'd been denied. I felt that no girl would ever want to come and have sex with me, and I developed extreme feelings of envy, hatred, and anger towards anyone who had a sex life. I saw them as the enemy. I felt condemned to live a life of lonely celibacy while other boys were allowed to experience the pleasures of sex, all because girls didn't want me. I felt inferior and undesirable. This time, however, I couldn't just stand by and accept an injustice anymore. I refused to continue hiding away from the world and forgetting about the insults it dealt me. I began to have fantasies of becoming very powerful and stopping everyone from having sex. I wanted to take their sex away from them, just like they took it away from me. I saw sex as an evil, barbaric act, all because I was unable to have it. This was a major turning point in my life. My anger made me stronger inside. This is when I formed my ideas that sex should be outlawed. It was the only way to make the world a fair and just place. If I can't have it, I will destroy it. That's the conclusion I came to right then and there. I spent more time studying the world, seeing the world for the horrible, unfair place that it is. And then I had the revelation that just because I was condemned to suffer a life of loneliness and rejection, that doesn't mean that I'm insignificant. 
I have an exceptionally high level of intelligence. I see the world differently than everyone else. Because of all the injustices I went through, the worldview I developed because of them, I must be destined for greatness. I must be destined to change the world, to shape it into an image that suits me. At the beginning of winter break, I decided to quit playing World of Warcraft entirely. On my last day of the game, I had a long emotional conversation with James where I opened up about all of my troubles. I told him about my newfound views of the world and that my belief that sex must be abolished. He seemed to be supportive of my stance and I was glad that he understood me. It was a very memorable day. My father's movie was released, but it did not do well at all. He was only able to get it released in a few select theaters, and no one was interested in seeing it. He stupidly invested all of his money into this movie, and he got absolutely nothing out of it. This caused him to fall into financial crisis that he would be stuck in for a long time. I was annoyed that he kept having to make it clear to us that he was now in a, quote, financial crisis, unquote. He talked about it all the time, and it was embarrassing. And what a bitter coincidence that right in the point when my life fell even deeper into agony, my father is cursed with this financial crisis. Right at the time when I needed my father's support the most, he lost all of his assets. It was as if some malevolent being cursed me with bad luck. I truly had no advantage at all. The universe was not kind to me. I formed an ideology in my head of how the world should work. I was fueled by my desire to destroy all of the injustices in the world and to exact revenge on everyone I envied and hated. I decided that my destiny in life was to rise to power so I can impose my ideology on the world and set everything right. I was only 17. I have plenty of time. I thought to myself. I fulfilled my vow of finishing high school by March. In fact, I finished a bit earlier than I expected, in mid-February. I completed so many homework assignments towards the end, especially since I no longer played World of Warcraft. I was glad to be done with it. School was finally over. Not having to go to school anymore gave me a lot of free time to think and brood. As time progressed, I realized how hopeless everything was in my life. The chances that I will ever rise to power and right the wrongs of the world were extremely slim. I had absolutely no idea or plan of how to acquire any sort of power. It was naive of me to think that I could one day become a dictator. The only thing I could do was fantasize about it. My whole world twisted even deeper into darkness and despair as my depressing life continued on. My hatred for people who were having sex festered inside me like a plague. I frequently went on walks around town to brood over how hopeless and unfair everything was. It was better than being stuck in my room all the time. When I saw young couples walking around the mall, my anger and hatred intensified greatly. It was the worst torture ever, seeing them making out and being intimate, 
my life, if you can call it a life, was a living hell. I continued going on my usual long walks every day, feeling angry and hateful towards the world. During Mother's Week, I would walk to the mall and sit on the balcony overlooking the food court next to the AMC theaters. There I would see all of the young couples lining up to see a movie and I boiled with hatred. During Father's Week, I walked to the Calabasas Commons nearby and I sometimes rode my bicycle. I also walked up the hill near my father's house to the overlook. I spent a lot of time up there, contemplating about my life and fantasizing about becoming powerful enough to punish everyone I hated. On one dreadful day, I was riding my bicycle near Calabasas. A group of popular teenagers in an SUV drove by and made fun of me. I suppose my appearance didn't help with that. I looked exactly like the outcast that I was. I was still wearing plain polo shirts and khaki pants at the time, covered with the blues of a hoodie and a black baseball cap. It was a torturous experience, and the pain I felt from it never went away. All I wanted was to fit in with those popular kids who lived such pleasurable lives, but instead I was ridiculed and reviled by them. They made me feel so inferior and undesirable. I will never forget that experience. It was burned into my memory. My misery became harder and harder to bear, and none of my parents understood my plight. My father thought all was well with me. How could he be so blind? He was so caught up in his failing work that he didn't even care how my life was turning out. I cursed him for it. My father never made any effort to prepare me for facing such a cruel world. He never taught me how to attract girls. He never warned me that if I didn't attract girls at an early age, my life would fall into a miserable pit of despair. Again, how could he be so blind? I asked myself constantly. It all came to a climax on one of the days that I walked to the Calabasas Commons. I treaded through the area with my head down, all alone, in a state of complete despair about my life. I looked around me and saw lots of young couples holding hands and groups of good-looking teenage boys and girls walking together and having fun on their Saturday night out. I saw all of those teenagers enjoying their pleasurable lives together while I was all alone. They were enjoying everything I couldn't have. I was filled with intense anguish. I quietly ran all the way back to father's house with tears pouring down my cheeks. Once I got home, I had a breakdown and cried for hours into the night. Okay, so dreamers, what do you make of his life so far up to this point? How does the bullying factor in to how you view the difficulties Roger is having to cope with in dealing with life? Do you think his parents could have or should have taken more action to understand what their son was going through? At this point in his life, what could have been done differently? I mean, it seems apparent that Roger clearly had difficulties coping. But he also hid his feelings a lot, didn't he? He had concerning moments that should have been clear red flags, shouldn't they have been? 
like the crying and the breaking down and even one announcement that he wanted to commit suicide. He repeatedly cried to his parents and this behavior never changed. I've told you before that I've worked with young kids and there are some children that resort to crying and tantruming because they don't yet possess the tools to cope with or otherwise express their emotions, right? But what about into middle school and into the teenage years and now into high school? Roger still doesn't have those coping skills and he cries about things as a child would. And he admittedly doesn't want to leave childhood behind. So what, as a parent, should they have done? I, for one, am not sure. I didn't have these types of dramatic episodes with my own teenager. But it is my observation that Roger's mom and dad continually tried to make the world fit around him rather than helping him figure out how to fit into the world. And it wasn't working very well. So next we're going to go into part five of Roger's Manifesto. It's entitled Hope and Hopelessness, ages 17 through 19. When I woke up the next morning, I felt a bit calmer, enough to think clearly about what had just happened. I couldn't bear to have my life continue this way, so I tried to reevaluate why I had to suffer so much. I spent the whole day in calm meditation, deeply reviewing my life to see how I fell into this dark place. I concluded that I cannot just give up on having the life that I want if I never try to get it. I realized that I was still only 17 and that there are many possibilities for me in the future. I wanted to give myself a new chance at life, despite all the odds that were against me. I wanted something to live for, something to look forward to in the future. This calm session of contemplation made me feel a lot better. I told my parents and my sister that I was willing to make a renewed effort to change. They seemed happy for me. For once, in their eyes, I wasn't being negative about life. I examined myself in the mirror and decided that if I wanted to make a fresh start, the first thing that I would have to do was change my appearance. I got a haircut. And then my mother and sister took me shopping at the Fallbrook Mall for some new clothes. I knew nothing about fashion at the time, so I just chose a few new jeans. I hadn't worn jeans since I was 10 years old. For the first time in many years, I started to care about how I looked again. I spent a few more days calming myself down, and then I started to feel something that had been lost in me for a long time. Hope. Without hope, I just couldn't go on any longer. I needed to feel hope. Hope for the future. Hope for a better life. Upon feeling this, I realized that perhaps it is possible for me to have the things I desire. To have a great social life again. To have a girlfriend. To have sex. To have all the pleasures I've desperately craved for so long. It was refreshing. I had a quiet 18th birthday at a restaurant with my family. It was one of the few times that I had dinner with both my mother and my father since their divorce. 
I received some birthday cards from relatives wishing me a great year ahead. I took a vow that day to make this new year of my life a happy one, to turn my life around and fulfill all of my desires. And so began a period of great yearning, a great chase, so to speak. I will chase after hope that I built for myself, only to have that hope shattered at every turn. I was 18, a high school graduate, and summer was nearing its end. I had to think about continuing my education. I was eager to be as productive with my time as I could be. College represented hope for me. I would be starting a new kind of school where there was lots of people and opportunities. I might possibly make friends and have interaction with girls, maybe even get a girlfriend. The thought filled me with enthusiasm, and so I enrolled at Pierce College, the first of a few colleges I would jump to in my desperate attempts to find a desirable life. When I looked through the list of classes, I saw that most of them were already full. The only class I was able to get was a computer class, and I settled with that. I could always spend time at the college, even when not in class, I concluded. Having only one class would help me ease into college at a milder pace. I hadn't been in a normal school system for three years. I feared that I might get nervous. But then, after thinking about everything I'd been through in the last few months, I knew I had the strength and the courage to tackle it. I never thought nor cared about money before I turned 18 because I was still living like a child with my parents, handling the money and giving me the things I needed. However, as I grew older, the more I realized how important money was and the more obsessed I would become about getting rich. This obsession was barely taking root at the time. At Father's house, we watched the movie Alpha Dog after dinner one night. This movie depicts a lot of teenagers and young people partying and having sex with beautiful girls, living the life that I desired for so long. The main character is a 15-year-old kid who has sex with two hot girls in a swimming pool. I was so envious, I delighted in his death at the end. I remember thinking that I would rather live his life than mine, even though he died. He had sex and I didn't. The movie deeply affected me emotionally, and I would think about it for some time afterwards. I started my new semester at Pierce College. I still hadn't obtained my driver's license yet, so I was forced to take the public bus to school. This was an extremely unpleasant experience, but I was willing to bear with it just so I could go to college and improve my life. On my first day, I couldn't help but feel nervous. The place reminded me of Taft, though the people seemed nicer and the environment less intimidating. When I settled down into class, I felt like things would turn out okay. So dreamers, in the meantime, Roger's stepmom, Samoya, had gone to Morocco when her father died, and he and his dad visited her while she was there for a short period of time, but things didn't go well. And what I mean is, Per usual, Elliot Roger acted like a whiny baby while visiting. 
Samoya returned from Morocco after her father's death, and she was angry with me due to the way I acted while I was visiting there. She effectively kicked me out of my father's house, and because I was 18, she was allowed to. Father didn't do anything to stop her, being the weak man that he is. This is how it's always been. Father has always given Samoya free reign to impose her rules on the household. He gave her all the power. This act officially ended the one-week-one-week arrangement, and my mother's house became my permanent living place. Not only did she kick me out of my father's house, she forbade me to go there even for a short visit. And still, father didn't do anything about it. He kept saying that the house is her house too as much as his, and she has the right to kick me out. No. The house should be my house before hers. I am the eldest son. This caused any respect I had for my father to fade away completely. It was such a betrayal to put his second wife before his eldest son. What kind of father would do that? The bitch must be really good in bed, I figured. What a weak man. Every day I tried to make some effort to go out and look for ways to improve my life. I felt that staying in my room was a waste of time. I knew what I wanted, but I had no idea how to get it. I frequently went out on walks around my mother's neighborhood in the desperate hope that someone would befriend me or a girl would talk to me. Nothing of the sort ever happened. Sometimes I walked all the way up to the overlook, as my mother's apartment was just around the other side of it. And sometimes I walked to the Calabasas Commons, where I would hang out at Barnes & Noble, reading books, always with the hope that some young people would reach out and befriend me. But no one ever did. I kept hoping and hoping and hoping. Hope is what kept me alive. When I was a child, Halloween used to be a fun and exciting experience. But ever since the last time I went trick-or-treating, Halloween has been a time I spent the whole night in my room while other teenagers were out having fun and partying. On this Halloween, I was desperate to do something social. I couldn't just sit in my room on such a night. I found out from stalking random people on Facebook that there was going to be a huge house party in West Hills. I decided to take a big leap forward and attend this house party, even though I wouldn't know anybody there. I had nothing to lose, and would give me more of a chance of meeting girls than if I stayed in my room all night. Because I couldn't drive, I had to walk all the way there, and it took 45 minutes. When I got there, I was overcome by anxiety, but I couldn't back out at that point. I paid the entry fee of $5 and walked right in. To my dismay, the party was smaller than I expected. All the kids were smoking marijuana, and they all seemed to know each other. It would only be a matter of time before they detected that I was an outcast. I stood around awkwardly for a few minutes before giving up and walking home. On the way home, just as I was about to reach my mother's house, a group of four young thugs drove by in a pickup truck and proceeded to throw eggs at me, laughing while they did it. 
They seemed intoxicated and they missed me. I picked up one of the shells and threw it right back at their car. I was no longer a weak little kid that could take a hit without fighting back. I was stronger now. They got out of their car and tried to attack me. And they would have beaten me bloody if I didn't pull out my trusty pocket knife, which I usually carried when I walked alone by myself. Thankfully, the thugs backed away and drove off. Perhaps it was the knife or the look of extreme hatred in my eyes. I quickly ran home terrified. It was an unsuccessful and misfortunate night. For a few days after Halloween, I kept thinking about the incident with the horrible thugs that almost attacked me. They must have seen me as a weakling who they could bully for their amusement. I didn't want the world to view me as weak. This led to my new commitment to start exercising and lifting weights. I began working out at the gym in my mother's apartment complex every other day. I hoped it would increase my confidence and make me appear a bit stronger. Maybe if I built up muscles, girls would be attracted to me, I hopefully proclaimed to myself. I had never worked out or lifted weights in my life, so my body's always been very frail and delicate. This was a new experience and it made me feel more productive. Samoya's grudge against me lessened after a couple months and she allowed me to go to my father's house for dinner occasionally. I was very angry with father, but I hid my anger. I still needed him. Father began teaching me how to drive once I received my driver's permit, which was quite hard to get. I had to take a written test with many questions and I failed it on my first try. On the second attempt, I managed to pass. My first experience driving was very scary. I've played a few racing video games in my life, but driving a car for real was much more intimidating. At first, I could barely even drive around my father's quiet neighborhood. I was overcome by the fear that I would never be able to drive. I soon got more used to it during the next few sessions. Soon enough, I was able to drive a short distance up to Panga Canyon with ease. I still didn't feel prepared to take my official drive test though. Despite my attempts to improve my life, I was still feeling frustrated and angry. I was getting nothing out of my efforts. I still hadn't made any friends at Pierce College, and I didn't interact with any girls. My days at Pierce College grew more and more mundane and depressing. I went to my class on Tuesdays and Thursdays, taking the bus to the AMC and walking the rest of the way. In the classroom, I had a hard time socializing with anyone. Making friends seemed impossible. My mother was casually dating a very wealthy man named Jack at the time, though I wouldn't find out that they were dating until much later. When she first mentioned him, I thought he was just a friend. Jack gave my mother the keys to his Malibu beach house, and we went to stay there for a few nights, though Jack wasn't there. The house was beautiful, white-colored mansion located on a private beach. The backyard had a swimming pool and a hot tub, with a gate leading right to the shoreline. Mother had a small get-together at the beach house, and she invited James and his family, along with some other friends. James didn't show up, but his father did. And to my surprise, 
Maddie Humphreys and her mother came over. In Dreamers, you remember Maddie Humphreys, right? She was Roger's first and only female friend that he made way back in elementary school. He hadn't seen her in a long time. Seeing Maddie for the first time in six years was a very peculiar experience. The last time we saw each other, we were just kids. Now she was a fully grown teenage girl. And from looking through her Facebook pictures, I knew she was popular. She was a typical pretty girl who had lots of pretty friends. And she was one of them, one of the popular kids. My first friend in America, someone I played with innocently as a child, had grown up to represent the type of people who caused me so much pain in my life. I was very nervous talking to her as I had no experience talking to young girls, but I had to make the effort. She seemed weirded out by my awkwardness. It was cringeworthy. While staying at Jack's beach house, I invited Philip and Addison over to hang out as they were always in Malibu together. They came to pick me up and while I was in the car with them, Addison kept talking about how successful he has been at mingling with the popular kids at Malibu High School. He kept talking about all the parties he's been to and all the pretty girls he's met. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Addison actually did it. He succeeded in becoming popular at his school. In such a short time, he was able to accomplish what I've been trying to do my whole life. I was extremely jealous. And that wasn't the worst part of it all. As I spent more time with them that night, I noticed that Addison's new status amongst the popular Malibu crowd had changed his attitude. It made him very cocky and arrogant. He treated me like a loser the whole time. Later that night, he ditched me and Philip to go to a party with some girls that he knew from Malibu. I was seething with rage. We then went to the Santa Monica Pier with Philip's friend Lenny, and I saw young couples everywhere. I used to love going to the Santa Monica Pier as a child, but now it was a place of vileness. After putting up with Addison's insulting behavior, this was way too much. I became so upset that I tried my first cigarette. I would end up smoking a few more times after that, though I would quit within a few weeks due to it having no effect on me. When Philip dropped me back off at the beach house, I walked to the beach in the middle of the night and yelled out my anguish to the rolling ocean. After that last experience with Philip and Addison, my attitude changed. My newfound optimism about life subsided and I began feeling intense anger and hatred towards the world again. The way Addison treated me made me realize what the world thinks of me. If I was one of those popular kids, Addison would have treated me with deference and respect, but I wasn't. I was a complete loser in his eyes and everyone else's. No effort I made in the last few months changed the way the world viewed me. The world still saw me as weak and undesirable, a loser, even though I changed my wardrobe and started working out. What was the point anymore, I asked myself. I couldn't help but feel anger and hatred. Life was so unfair to me. I continued going on walks around my mother's house in the desperate hope 
that I might possibly cross paths with some pretty girl who would be attracted to me. I would have been satisfied with that. Sometimes I spent two or three hours wandering the neighborhood. It was all I could do. I never met any girl. Each walk left me bitterly disappointed, and I eventually stopped doing it altogether. My time at Paris College became even more miserable each day I went there. I despised having to take the bus. It was embarrassing and stressful, and it sucked all of the pride out of me. And for what? To go to one class where I didn't talk to anyone? There was no point anymore. I couldn't stand the feeling of loneliness I had there. No one wanted to be my friend. It just wasn't worth the trouble. I decided to drop my class. My mother got very angry that I dropped my class at Pierce, even though I thoroughly explained to her the reasons. This is when she started pressuring me to get a job. Getting a job is something I never thought about before in my life, and I soon realized that the older I became, the more it was expected of me if I didn't go to college. To placate my mother, I started searching for jobs online every day, but I wasn't able to find one that was suitable for me. I felt hatred and dissatisfaction with the world and society, but I didn't want to hide away from it anymore. I needed to be as productive with my time as possible, and I had a lot of free time at this point. The best way to make use of this time, I concluded, was to spend it self-educating myself. Knowledge is power. I began a daily routine of walking to Barnes and Nobles in Calabasas every day, where I would spend hours reading books that ranged from biographies of powerful leaders, histories of significant periods, self-help books, philosophy and psychology texts, and historical fiction novels. I sometimes even spent entire days there, from the time it opened to the time it closed. In the afternoons, to my extreme rage, I sometimes saw young couples strolling through the store. Sometimes they would even sit in the reading chairs, kissing and fondling each other. Whenever I saw this, I became so overcome with envy and heartbreak that I went to the bathroom and cried. The occasional couples didn't stop me from going there, however, because it was the most beneficial thing for me to do at that moment. I still met up with Philip and Addison occasionally, even though I hated Addison. They provided me with a sense of a social life and a way for me to vent about my troubles. Addison treated me like a low life every time I hung out with them, and he kept bragging about the girls he'd met at parties in Malibu. I indignantly accused him of lying, as that's what I was wanting to believe. He was only amused by my envy. And then I found out that Addison deleted me from his Facebook friends list out of the blue. And that was the last slight I would bear from him. And I subsequently sent him hateful Facebook messages in response. I then viewed Addison as a bitter enemy of mine. He truly was a disgusting and treacherous little bastard. Addison was once in the same position as me, but right when he succeeded in integrating with the popular kids, he betrayed me and treated me the same way the popular kids treated me, as if I'm low-life scum. The world is truly a brutal place, 
where a man must fight a bitter struggle against all other men to reach the top. Humans are nothing but vicious beasts in a jungle. On New Year's Eve of 2010, the day that marked the end of a decade, I caught a terrible illness and had to stay in bed for the whole afternoon, as well as the next day. My mother was going to go to one of her friend's houses, but she felt sorry for me and stayed home. I spent the whole time lying in bed, brooding about my life. I don't know what was worse, the physical pain I felt from the sickness or the emotional pain and rage I had towards the world. I would say the latter. When the illness had passed on the following afternoon, I thought about how it caused me to waste my New Year's holiday in my room. But then I mused that I would have done the same thing anyway, whether I was sick or not, because I had no friends to celebrate New Year's with. I checked Addison's Facebook profile with one of my stalking accounts, and I saw that he went to a huge New Year's party at a mansion with his popular Malibu friends. He took lots of pictures of himself posing with various girls. I hated him so much when I saw that. The level of hatred I felt was unreal. He was doing everything I wanted to do. Why him and not me? I cursed at the world. What was seen can never be unseen, and I will never forget it, nor will I forgive it. My hope that I would one day have a beautiful girlfriend and live the life that I desired slowly faded away. I was in the same dark and miserable place I had been a year previously. Lonely, unwanted, miserable, and seething with rage. I kept thinking about how some boys were easily able to get girlfriends straight after they went through puberty. I couldn't fathom how they did it and I hated and despised them for it. My mother carried on pressuring me to get a job, and she would never leave me alone about it. She was a bit frustrated that I wasn't getting one, so she found a life coach to counsel me and help me find a job. This life coach's name was Tony, a boisterous 40-year-old man who came to meet me every other week. I was open to going along with this. I had plenty of free time, and I was so lonely that any social interaction was welcome. For our meetings, Tony usually took me out to lunch somewhere in the valley, where he gave me advice on socializing and self-improvement. I continued searching for a job, but I still wasn't able to find one. I refused all of the jobs that Tony suggested to me. The problem with most of the jobs that were available to me were jobs I considered beneath me. My mother wanted me to get a simple retail job, and the thought of myself doing that was mortifying. It would be completely against my character. I am an intellectual who is destined for greatness. I would never perform a low-class service job. My father told me that I could work for his friend, Carl Champley, for a few weeks to help him build a staircase in his new house. I agreed to take this job. Sure, construction work was lowly and laborious, but this was different. This was more like assisting a friend, and it would be in a private environment, and it would be the perfect temporary job opportunity, and it would most definitely get my mother off my back. I still couldn't drive, 
so I rode my bike there from my mother's house every morning. The trip on the bike took 30 minutes. It was grueling to ride a bicycle up that steep and winding road every day, but it provided good exercise, which I needed. I worked with Carl every day for about three weeks, and it turned out to be quite a pleasant experience. Carl was friendly, and I enjoyed working with him. On my last day working for Carl, I decided to stop by Father's house to have a drink. I was quite parched from the bicycle ride. I entered the house without knocking because I believed I had the right to do so. As the eldest son, the house should be mine after my father. Samoya was surprised to see me and she got angry that I didn't knock. To teach me a lesson, she ordered me to go back outside and knock. I refused, telling her that she has no right to order me around anymore. And then I helped myself to a glass of water. Samoya knocked the glass of water out of my hand and it shattered. Father clambered angrily up the stairs from his office, demanding to know what was going on. The three of us had a heated argument, and of course, Father took Samoya's side. They both kicked me out of the house, telling me that I'm not to return. I felt betrayed and humiliated as I furiously made my way back to my mother's house. At that very moment, I hated both of them, and I wouldn't see either of them for many months. For those months, my father was dead to me. My mother was all I had left in this bleak world. During that same week, I had a climactic meeting with Philip and Addison, where my noxious feud with Addison reached a boiling point. We went on an outing to the Griffith Park Observatory, as we usually did when we got together. This time, my arguments with Addison were very intense. I tried to insult him as much as I could, in a petty attempt to get revenge at him for all the insults and slights that he dealt to me. We went back and forth at each other for the whole evening, to the chagrin of poor Philip, who had to put up with all of it. By the end of the night, Addison said something to me that was so offensive that it would haunt me forever. And it rang true. No girl in this world will ever want to have sex with you. I already felt that no girl in the world would want that. I was a kissless virgin after all. That was the sole reason why I was suffering. But to hear it come from someone else, someone like Addison, really caused it to sink into the core of my mentality and my emotions. That whole night made for a very vile and wicked experience. I decided not to see Philip in Addison for a long time. I found out that my mother was actually dating Jack, the wealthy man who owned the Malibu Beach House. I always thought that he was only her friend. My mother never told me or my sister about any men that she dated. She always kept that strictly private. I hadn't even met Jack yet. He was worth well over $500 million and he owned other mansions in Bel Air and Beverly Hills. When I found this out, I started to harbor the hope that my mother would get married to this man and I would be part of a rich family. 
there would definitely be a way out of my misery and my insignificant life. Money would solve everything. I started to frequently ask my mother to seek marriage with this man, or any wealthy man for that matter. She always adamantly refused and demanded that I stop talking about it. She told me that she never wanted to get married again after her experience with my father. I told her that she should sacrifice her well-being for the sake of my happiness, but this only offended her further. Okay, so dreamers, he's an adult now, still acting like a child, right? He's angry about a lot of things at this point, and in his eyes, it's only getting worse. I keep seeing this guy continually spinning around in circles, just hoping for things to come his way without him having to put any effort or work into it. Friends, girls, money, jobs. He feels entitled to his father's house because he's the eldest son. He wants his mom to marry a millionaire so he can be happy. And when things don't go his way, he just falls to pieces like a tantruming child, stomping on the ground, throwing himself down on the floor. And he can't seem to figure out that the world just isn't all about him. It's very infantile. At the beginning of summer, I finally received my driver's license. Once my official driver's license came in the mail, my mother told me some good news. She had received a new car from Jack, which meant that she can give her older car to me. To be able to drive to any place I wanted to go provided me with the sense of freedom that I'd never had before. I felt more like an adult rather than a kid. I realized that I could start college again now that I had the ability to drive there. I registered for a summer class at Moore Park College. My mother and I drove up there to take a look. The campus was smaller in scale and more aesthetically pleasing. I also saw a lot more beautiful girls than I had at Pierce. Everywhere I looked, I saw beautiful blonde girls walking around. This college was just right for me. In the days leading up to my first day at Moore Park, I felt a renewed sense of hope. A new college provided a new start. And this college looked perfect in every way. I had the hope that I could make it there, that I could make friends, meet some girls, and eventually find a pretty girl to be my girlfriend. I pictured her in my mind all the time. Her cascading blonde hair, her beautiful face, her sensual body, everything. I imagined us walking hand in hand through the college, looking at the magnificent view of the mountains in the distance as the sunset behind them. That would be heaven. That's what I wanted in life. Every single hate-fueled ideal, worldview, and philosophy I created in the past was a result of not being able to do that. I was very optimistic on the first day. When I walked into the campus, I breathed in the fresh mountain air and admired my surroundings. I was in a new environment with lots of new possibilities. My renewed hope gave me solace for a few days, but it did not last. Moore Park became a place of loneliness and despair, just like every other place I attempted to thrive in. 
The breaking point was when I saw good-looking couples walking along the area where I dreamed of walking with a girlfriend. To watch another boy experience it with a beautiful girl who should be mine was a living hell. I constantly asked myself, what did I do wrong in life to be unable to have a beautiful girlfriend? It was no better inside the classroom. There was this one obnoxious jock with the buzz cut who was taking the class with his gorgeous girlfriend. They always sat next to each other, talking and touching each other with affection. Every day I had to see this and my envy grew and grew. I constantly glared at them with raw hatred. What did I do wrong that he did right? I yelled out to the universe on my way home. Why does he deserve the love of a beautiful girl and not me? Why do girls hate me so? Questions and questions. All I could do was question why I was suffering so much injustice in life. My mother one day told me that I should become a writer because I had some talent in writing. That was so strange to hear. For my whole life, I was never talented at anything I tried. I was too physically weak to play sports with the other boys when I was little. I never became a professional at skateboarding, no matter how much I practiced. I was never that skilled at any video games that I played, even World of Warcraft. Deep down, I've always known that I had no talents, and I've always tried not to think about it. Indeed, it was strange to hear my mother say that I could become a talented writer, but it did give me an idea. I started to wonder, what if I actually could become a writer? I could write an epic fantasy story that could be made into a movie and I would become rich from it. Being rich would definitely make me attractive enough to have a beautiful girlfriend. It was not impossible and working towards it would give me something to live for. I molded over in my mind for a little while. We went to Jack's beach house in Malibu to spend a couple of nights again. After stuffing myself with portions from every dish and drinking multiple glasses of wine, I went on a long peaceful walk on the beach, wishing that I had a girlfriend to walk beside me. Before I went to bed, I thought a lot about the possibility of becoming rich. If I was a millionaire and owned a house like the one I was spending the night in, I could have any girl I want. Being in that position would make up for all the misery I had to go through in the past. And making up for it was my most important goal in life. My time at college was miserable. I cried often on the way home because I was so envious of so many couples walking around. I poured all of my energy into coming up with a way to make this goal work. My faith that I could write an epic story that would make me rich soon collapsed. I read so many articles online about the chances of a screenplay that would be made into a movie. I also saw that most of the writers, even that the highest budget films, did not make as much as I thought they did. Most best-selling authors or screenwriters don't become millionaires until they're well into their 40s or 50s. I didn't want to wait till I was 40 years old to lose my virginity. The thought of spending the next 20 years working hard every day for a chance at making a million or two filled me with revulsion. By the time I'd become a millionaire from doing that, 
I wouldn't even be able to get the hot young girls because I was too old. I decided that writing was not my path to salvation, and I abandoned the idea completely. Of course, I would become tantalized with the idea a few more times in the future, but that would be due to my desperate false hope that I created for myself. I couldn't stand seeing the damnable couple in my class anymore. I never understood what that pretty girl saw in her brute of a boyfriend. That guy was able to experience his college life with his beautiful girlfriend by his side while I was all alone. It made me feel so inferior. I had to watch them together every single day. The torture was unbearable. When I got home from college one day, I dropped my class in a rage. I didn't think about how my mother would react to me dropping the class. I knew she would be very disappointed, and I couldn't afford to have her disappointed in me. I was relying on her for everything. What she gave to me, she could easily take away. I panicked and resolved to get another job in order to placate her. After asking Tony, my social skills counselor, if I could get a job through the regional center, he called me back and told me that there was a job available for me. I started a day of working at this new job. It was in an office building that was connected to the airport in Los Angeles. To my horror and humiliation, the job turned out to be a menial custodial job. I had to clean offices and even the bathrooms. There was no way I would degrade myself to such a level. I felt like utter crap, even from considering working at such a place. I only worked for a few hours while I thought about how to handle this foul situation. And on the next day, I called to announce that I was quitting. This was the second and last job that I would ever have. I only worked there for less than a day. After I quit, I fell into an even worse state of panic than I was after I dropped my class at Moore Park. I rapidly pestered myself with the ultimate question, what am I to do now? I was doomed. I thought that if my mother found out that I quit, she would kick me out of her household. My mother was taking a vacation in Hawaii with my sister during this time. I had a few days to myself to relax and plot my next move. I concluded that going to college and enduring the sight of couples walking around was better than having to resort to working a low-class job somewhere, and I had to pick one of the two in order to placate my mother. College was also more beneficial because I could learn and educate myself through it. I called up my mother and cried to her on the phone, explaining why I had quit the job that I had signed up for. I asked her if she would give me another chance, and I told her I would register for more classes at Moore Park and pour all of my energy into studying hard. I also told her that I would continue working on my writing. To my relief, she was very understanding and she told me that she would continue to support me if I did this. The temporary pressure I had to face that summer was eased, but after thinking about it, I supposed that it was insignificant compared to the overall pressure that had been on my shoulders ever since I hit puberty. My struggle against a society that looks down upon me, against the female gender for denying me sex and love, Addison's hurtful words kept haunting me all through the summer. I saw my future and I saw only bleak loneliness. I will never have sex. 
I will never have love. Girls deem me unworthy of it. I thought to myself over and over again. I cried every day when I imagined how much fun and pleasure other teenagers were having as I languished in despair. My 19th birthday passed sullenly, and it caused me to feel even more defeated. 19 and still a virgin, I miserably proclaimed on that day. My father didn't even stoop to give me a phone call. Instead, he sent me a letter wishing me a happy birthday, telling me that he wanted me to apologize to Samoya, which of course I refused to do. The laptop I received on my 17th birthday had become infected with viruses, so my mother bought me a new, even better laptop on my 19th birthday. I chose one that could handle video games as well, because I had just made the decision to start playing World of Warcraft again. I couldn't handle the anguish in my life anymore, and I needed a break, no matter how unhealthy and time-consuming World of Warcraft would be for me. Upon setting up my new laptop, I immediately installed all of my World of Warcraft discs. I logged into my account and took a look at all of my characters I hadn't touched for a year and a half. And there I was, stuck in the void of hopelessness once again, in the exact same position as I had been when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. For all the efforts I made to improve my life during my 18th year, and I had nothing to show for it. No friends, no girls, no life. I started going to James's house a lot more since I was now able to drive and the two of us could play World of Warcraft together again. Seeing James was always pleasant in its own way. He was my comrade in virginity for he too didn't get any attention from girls, and I'm sure he suffered from it, but not as much as I did. I was very perplexed as to why he didn't feel any anger towards girls for denying him sex. He should be just as angry as I am. I suppose he didn't have a very high sex drive, or he was just generally a weak person. To be angry about the injustices one faces is a sign of strength, it's a sign that one has the will to fight back against those injustices rather than bowing down and accepting it as fate. Whereas I am the fighter, I will never stand to be insulted and I will eventually have my revenge against all those who insult me, no matter how long it takes. My new semester at Park College began I only managed to sign up for one class, but I promised my mother that I would do at least three classes for the next semester. My social anxiety has always made my life so difficult, and no one ever understood it. I hated how everyone seemed to have no anxiety at all. I was like a cripple compared to them. Their lives must be so much easier. Thankfully, there were no couples in this class but I still had to see them when I walked through the school. The only thing I could do was keep my head down and pretend that they didn't exist. I still cried on the drive home every day. As I got more and more used to having a car of my own to drive, I frequently went out on what I called night drives around my mother's neighborhood. They almost replaced the walks that I used to take in the afternoons, 
Staying in my room all the time only increased my depression. It was suffocating. To ease the suffocation, I frequently got in my car at night and turned on the radio and went on a drive to no particular destination. The song Two Is Better Than One always played on the radio when I went on these night drives. It made me feel sad, though it was soothing at the same time. That song will always remind me of the loneliness I felt during those experiences. I soon learned the hard way to not go on night drives on Fridays and Saturdays. That was when teenagers were out and about. Even in the peaceful residential neighborhood that my mother lived in, I frequently saw bands of teenagers roaming the streets. They were high schoolers, younger than me, mostly skateboarder punks or football jocks who had pretty girls beside them. The sight of them enraged me to no end. It reminded me of the life that I missed out on. They were probably on their way to some house party where they will get drunk and have sex and do all sorts of fun, pleasurable things that I never had the chance to do. Damn them all. My autumn semester at Moore Park College flashed by like a subtle lightning bolt. It was as if it didn't even exist in my life. Moore Park College was supposed to be a place of hope for me, but it turned into a place of despair, just like everything else. I was invisible there. Nobody knew I existed or cared who I was. At least this time, I finished a class. The day of my final exam was December 7th, which was also the day the new expansion to World of Warcraft was released, called Cataclysm. I completed my final exam with ease, and thus I completed my first college class, in which I received a grade of a B. Afterwards, I rushed to Best Buy to purchase the new game. With the new World of Warcraft expansions, some of those old feelings I had felt when I first played the game came back to me, and I wanted that feeling again. It was comforting, and the sense of comfort was something I needed to cushion myself with. But after two weeks of playing World of Warcraft non-stop, I once again came to the abrupt decision to quit. The new expansion was a major disappointment. Blizzard Entertainment, the creators of the game, made changes that I believe ruined everything that was fun about it. I won't get into the details, as most of the people reading this won't understand the complicated video game terms anyway. But that was only a small part of the reason why I quit. The main reason was a disturbing new player base. The game got bigger with every new expansion that was released. And as it got bigger, it brought in vast numbers of new players. I noticed more and more that normal people who had active and pleasurable social lives were starting to play the game, as the changes were catered towards such a crowd. World of Warcraft no longer became a sanctuary where I could hide from the evils of the world because the evils of the world now had followed me there. I saw people bragging online about their sexual experiences with girls. They used the term virgin as an insult to people who were immersed in the game more than them. The insult stung because it was true. Us virgins did tend to get more immersed in such things because our real lives were lacking. I couldn't stand to play World of Warcraft knowing that my enemies the people that I hate and envied so much for having sexual lives were now playing the same game as me. 
there was no point anymore. I realized what a terrible mistake I had made to turn my back on the world again. The world is brutal, and I needed to fight for my place in it. My life was at a crucial turning point, and I couldn't waste any more precious time. I told James that I was quitting World of Warcraft again, and he told me he suspected I would very soon. It was just a matter of time. Even though we were playing over the internet, he could detect my anger and rage towards the world seeping through the computer screen. I questioned him about why he himself could go on living without feeling any sort of anger or resentment about his circumstances, which were like mine. He was, after all, a 19-year-old virgin just as I was. He just casually told me that he didn't pay attention to it and focused on his strengths. What strengths do I have to focus on, I wondered. The world views me as a weakling. Perhaps I needed to prove the world wrong. During the remaining days of 2010, I joined my mother and my sister at Jack's Malibu Beach House to spend a few nights. They arrived there a few hours before me, and by the time I reached the house, they had already invited a few guests over for a get-together. To my outrage, I saw that my mother had invited Maddie and her boyfriend. I was looking forward to having another respite at the beautiful Malibu mansion where I can indulge myself in opulence and forget about the depressing loneliness. Having a young couple lurking around only reminded me of my insignificance. I was extremely upset with my mother for inviting them. She should have been more considerate. If only I had a girlfriend of my own to take to that place. That beach house is the perfect place to take a girlfriend to. It had a swimming pool and a jacuzzi, and it was located on a private beach where we could walk arm in arm. It even had a private movie theater. Such an opportunity wasted. All because no girl would give me a chance. Instead, I was all alone, and I had to see another couple watch movies together in that theater. I started walking along the shore, taking in the magnificence of the gentle moonlit ocean. It was so romantic. I kept walking and walking with no destination in mind. The romance of it all filled me with despair and longing. I wanted a girlfriend to experience that moment with me, but no girl wanted to be my girlfriend. The only thing I could do was imagine how heavenly it would be to have a beautiful girl by my side. It is such a shameful tragedy. I ended up walking for two hours. At the end of it, I was crying to myself because I felt so sad. I went on a few more walks like this on the beach during the daytime. That beach was quiet and peaceful, since the only people who visited it were those who lived in the homes on the beach. I took full advantage of this. I always found the beaches to be truly beautiful, but I could never go to public beaches because they are full of young couples walking around in their revealing bathing suits, and the sight of which fills me with envious rage. On the private beach, I could enjoy the serenity of the environment without having to worry about young couples making me jealous. There were no young couples, only a few families and old couples here and there. I did, however, pass by one young girl. 
and she was like a goddess who came down from heaven. She was walking alone in her bathing suit and her blonde hair blowing in the wind. I couldn't help but slyly admire her beauty as we passed by each other. I was scared. I was scared that she might view me as nothing more than an inferior insect whose presence ruined her atmosphere. Her beauty was intoxicating. And then, just as we passed each other, she actually looked at me. She looked at me and smiled. Most girls never even looked at me. But this one actually looked and smiled. I had never felt so euphoric in my life. One smile. One smile was all it took to brighten my day. The power that beautiful women have is unbelievable. They can temporarily turn a desperate boy's whole world around just by smiling. That smile put me in a good mood, a healthy mood for the rest of the walk. But it soon faded away as I realized that I could never actually have a girl as beautiful as that. She probably only smiled out of politeness. She would never go for me. And what is the point to life if I can't have a girl of such beauty? Some men get to have beautiful girlfriends like that, and some don't. I'm among those who are denied such a pleasure, and that is why I hate life. After spending three days at the Malibu Beach House, I was sad to leave it. I had a feeling that I would never see that place again, and it was true. That was the last time I ever went there. Mother ended her relationship with Jack sometime within the next following months, though she would never tell me directly about it. I spent that New Year's Eve alone and miserable, just like the previous year, and the year before that, and before that. It was the last day my World of Warcraft account was active, and I logged on to World of Warcraft just for that occasion. I angrily had arguments with random people online who I saw bragging about their girlfriends. I spewed out all of my hatred towards them, but they were only amused. It was very aggravating, and it made me glad that I had canceled my World of Warcraft account. There was nowhere I could hide anymore, and time was ticking, and a new year was just beginning. I concluded that I had to put more effort into making better use of my time. So dreamers, the spring semester went by pretty much like the previous ones. Roger, as you can imagine, is sounding like a broken record. So we are going to fast forward to the summer that he makes his move to Santa Barbara. It was close to my 20th birthday. Since I was back in my father's good graces, my mother agreed to meet with him and me about my life situation. We had dinner at a Japanese restaurant where we had a long talk about what I was doing with my life and what my college plans were. My mother and father both agreed that in order to change my life, I needed to remove myself from my current environment and start anew. Living at my mother's apartment was becoming unhealthy and they thought that things would improve if I had my own place. It was at this moment that we began to form the Santa Barbara plan in which I would go to college in Santa Barbara and live amongst the students there. The Santa Barbara plan was formed on that night, 
but it had its roots stretched all the way back when I had just turned 18. It was all because I watched that movie Alpha Dog. The movie had a profound effect on me because it depicted lots of good-looking young people enjoying pleasurable sex lives. I thought about it for months afterwards, and I constantly read about the story online. I found out that it took place in Santa Barbara, which prompted me to read about the college life there. I found out about Isla Vista, the small town adjacent to UCSB, where all of the college students live and have parties. When I found out about this, I had the desperate hope that if I were to move to that town, I would be able to live that life too. That's the life I wanted. A life of pleasure and sex. At that period in my life, I was on the verge of giving up all hope that I would ever live the life that I wanted. But this changed everything. I now had the opportunity to start fresh in a beautiful new town, at a new college, with my own living place. Of course, I would have to share an apartment with other college students, but that was part of the experience. It would give me more social credibility than living with my mother, that's for sure. Deep down, I always wanted an opportunity like this, and now I had one. Just at the time when I was about to give up on everything completely. It was very overwhelming, and I needed a few days to meditate and take this all in. It was such an unbelievable turn of events that I dismissed it from my mind in the following two months. It was still five months before I would start college in Santa Barbara, so I decided not to worry about it for the time being. At the present, I had to worry about my new semester at Moore Park that was just beginning. I was registered to take three classes for the spring semester. The first was an early morning history class followed by sociology then psychology. They were all just as disastrous as I'd expect them to be. I had to drop the sociology class right on the first day because there was this extremely hot blonde girl who took the class with her brute of a boyfriend. I couldn't stand looking at them sitting together. I left the class mid-session because I couldn't take it anymore. My two remaining classes were not much better. In my history class, I had a crush on a pretty girl only to find out that she had a boyfriend. And in my psychology class, there was this group of popular kids who acted obnoxious the whole time. And one of them was a very pretty blonde girl. And she actually enjoyed associating with the obnoxious boys in her clique. The injustice. I hated them all. Everyone treated me like I was invisible. No one reached out to me. No one knew I existed. I was a ghost. It was agony. I realized that my life was repeating itself in a vicious circle of torment and injustice. Each new semester of college yielded the same lonely, celibate life, devoid of girls and any social interaction. It was as if there was a curse of misfortune placed upon me. I wondered what the point was in attempting to start a new life in Santa Barbara. Hadn't I done the same at Moore Park? I thought, with a shiver of dread running up my spine, about how horrible it would be if the same things ended up happening after I made the big move to Santa Barbara. I didn't even want to imagine 
how much of an epic defeat that would be. I wisely shut out all my thoughts about it and focused with intense determination on how I can change my life right at the current moment. My father gave me a book called The Secret. He said it would help me develop a positive attitude. The book explained the fundamentals of a concept known as the laws of attraction. I had never heard or read anything quite like this before, and I was intrigued. The theory stated that one's thoughts were connected to a universal force that can shape the future of reality. Being one who always loved fantasy and magic, and who always wished that things were real, I was swept up in a temporary wave of enthusiasm over this book. The prospect that I could change my future just by visualizing in my mind the life that I wanted filled me with the surge of hope that my life could turn out happy. The idea was ridiculous, of course. But the world is such a ridiculous place that I figured I might as well give it a try. In addition, I was so desperate for something to live for that I wanted to believe in the laws of attraction, even if it was proven to me that it wasn't real. Once I finished reading it, I drove all the way to Point Doom in Malibu and climbed out onto the cliffs of the very edge. It was a windy day, and I could see the ocean rolling below me. As night fell, I looked out to the stars and proclaimed to the universe everything I'd wanted in life. I proclaimed how I wanted to be a millionaire so I could live a luxurious life and finally be able to attract the beautiful girls I coveted so much. I wished to make up for all the years of youth that I wasted in bleak loneliness, and by doing so I would get revenge on everyone who thought that they were better than me just by becoming better than them through the accumulation of wealth. I believe that the only way for me to attain this wealth at the time was to win the lottery, and that is what I visualized doing. I then descended the clifftop at Point Doom and walked along the Malibu Ocean, just like I did a couple months previously at the beach house. I saw a couple walking along the shore ahead of me. The man looked to be in his late 20s or early 30s, and the girl he was walking with looked like a supermodel. I assumed he was very rich and owned a nice house in Malibu. The two of them are walking hand in hand, and I saw him subtly place his hand over her rear end every now and then. He was living the life. He was in heaven. I was envious. But since the man was older than me, it also gave me a twinge of hope, especially after my proclamation to the universe at the clifftop. If I become a multimillionaire, then I would be able to walk on the beach with beautiful girls too and my life would be complete. That is what I wanted. That is what I wished for in my future, as I've always believed I am destined for great things. Becoming a multimillionaire at a young age is what I was meant for. My faith was soon broken. As I bought a few Mega Million lottery tickets and visualized myself being the winner, I usually visualized it by meditating on the rooftop of my mother's apartment right at the time of the drawing. A part of me knew it was impossible to will the universe to make me the winner just by wishing it from a rooftop, but I was so desperate that I wanted to believe that I could. I wanted to believe that I had the power to do it. And after failing to win, 
the jackpot reset because somebody else won. And I lost all faith in that book. And I almost ripped it apart in frustration. The very first episode of my favorite television series of all time, Game of Thrones, was released in April. And I watched it with profound excitement. The show exceeded all of my expectations. Each week I look forward to the next episode, and each episode gave me a small hint of joy in my otherwise bleak life. Towards the end of my spring semester at Moore Park, I was so frustrated with my lonely status at the college that I refused to even drive up there for the last few weeks. I left my home in the mornings pretending to my mother that I was going to college. But instead, I went to Barnes & Noble and sat there until my mother left for work and then I would go back home. I made sure to stay at Barnes & Noble for at least two hours just in case my mother left later than usual. I've always been meticulously careful about everything I've done. On the last day, I went to my classes, quickly took my final exams, and left. When my classes lined up for the final exams, Everyone had a group to socialize with while I stood on the side alone. Everyone must have thought I was a complete loser. Thank goodness it was the last day. The people in those classes angered me to no end. That was the last time I would ever see that college. On the drive home, I cried to myself as I listened to music on the radio, as I always did. I failed to get the life I wanted at Moore Park. I had nothing going for me in my life except for the prospect of starting a new life in Santa Barbara. That was my only hope. It seemed very bleak. From the way things went at Moore Park, I feared the worst for how things might turn out in Santa Barbara, but I had to give it a try. I was desperate to have the life I know I deserve. A life of being wanted by attractive girls. A life of sex and love. Other men were able to have such a life, so why not me? I deserve it. I am magnificent. No matter how much the world treated me otherwise, I am destined for great things. At the very end of May, my mother gave me an unpleasant surprise by telling me that I had to move to Santa Barbara on June 4th, which was in just a few days. I wasn't prepared to move so soon. I thought I would go there towards the end of June, right before I start my summer class. I wanted more time to emotionally and mentally prepare for such a huge undertaking. And it was a huge undertaking. For the first time in my life, I was moving out of my parents' house, and on top of that, I had to move into an apartment with other college students. I had no idea what to expect. And of course, I was very nervous. I was astounded when we toured through Isla Vista. It was a whole town of college students living together, right next to UCSB, right next to the beach. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. When I read about it online, I thought it was too good to be true, but there it was, exactly as I expected. There were hot blonde girls walking around everywhere. I always theorized that one of the main hindrances to me living the life I desired was my situation of living in my mother's apartment. I thought to myself, as we explored this college town, that if I lived there, then there was no way I would have trouble getting a social life and losing my virginity. This was the perfect environment to do so. 
if I can't get laid there, then there is no hope for me at all. My mother was adamant that I move on that particular date. She said it was because she wanted me to go there and settle in before college started, but I knew the real reason. She always wanted me out of her house because she hated having to deal with me. The Santa Barbara plan would free her of me, and she wanted that so badly she was willing to pay $900 a month for my apartment to rent. Basically, she was paying money to get rid of me. I realized that once I moved out, there was no going back. It will set a precedence, and the threshold will be crossed. My mother will never welcome me back to live with her permanently ever again. In the remaining days that I had at my mother's apartment, I spent a lot of time meditating about how I would deal with this huge change. I had to prepare myself as much as possible. So I did a lot of introspecting and evaluated myself in great detail. This move to Santa Barbara was the only chance I had of attaining the life I desired. I had to do my best to make this work. Proclaiming to myself, this time I would not fail. I exercised in the gym for too many hours to boost my confidence as much as possible, and I went to the mall to shop for clothes. Last Christmas, I got a few gift cards for Macy's, and I spent them all on a few shirts that I thought I would look good in, as well as new shoes. After doing everything I could possibly do to physically boost my confidence and appearance, I was ready. And so ends another era of my extraordinary and tragic life. I call it the era of hope and hopelessness, where I drifted and languished in lonely despair while I lived in my mother's apartment and attended two colleges. At various intervals, something happened to me to give me new hope for my life, only to have it shattered later on. My life had been moving in that same pattern for a long time now, and I was sick and tired of it. All while I was suffering this lonely existence, other boys my age lived their happy lives of pleasure and sex. I can never forgive such an injustice, and it was my bid to overcompensate for it in the future. I had to make up for all the years I lost in loneliness and isolation through no fault of my own. It was society's fault for rejecting me. It was women's fault for refusing to have sex with me. The move to Santa Barbara is the end game, the ultimate climax of everything. I saw it as a new chance that was given to me to finally have the things I wanted in life. Love, sex, friends, fun, acceptance, a sense of belonging. But I could never forgive the world for denying me such things in the past. I was already turning 20 soon. I had already lost so many years of my life. I deserve better than that. I am an intelligent gentleman, and I deserve the love of girls more than the obnoxious boys of my age, and yet they get the girls and I don't. That is a crime that can never be forgotten, nor can it be forgiven. I always wanted to exact my revenge on humanity by forcing me to live such a life, but I've always had the hope that if I could do things in life to make up for my suffering, then that in and of itself would be a form of peaceful revenge. In truth, the move to Santa Barbara was actually a chance 
I was giving to the world, not the other way around. I was giving the world one last chance to give me the life that I know that I'm entitled to. The life that the other boys are able to live with ease. If I still have to suffer the same rejection and injustice, even after I moved to Santa Barbara, then that will be the last straw. I will have my vengeance. We are going to end part two of the tale of the manifesto and the misogynist here. What do you guys think of Roger's perception of the world? As a teenager, navigating through some of the difficulties of adolescence, puberty. Obviously, I've never been a teenage boy and I've not raised one either. I've gotten a glimpse of what it can be like based on some of the stories my husband has told me about his teen years. Attraction to girls, sexual urges, masturbation, and of course, rejection. And it never seemed to have this all-consuming, soul-crushing effect on him. And he had some of the same experiences, including delving into video games with his dorky friends to forget about life. And for Roger, it seems like the average teen angst, but amplified a thousand times over, causing him to have these over-the-top feelings of dejection and misery. I'd like to hear what you guys think. Former teenage boys? Parents of teenage boys? Do you have some insight? If Elliot Roger was my child, I'd be completely beside myself. And the biggest red flags for me would be the inability to cope as a child, the bursting into tears, the tantruming, the freakouts, the complete and total meltdowns that this kid would have would just have me super worried. But then maybe mom and dad thought that kind of emotional outbursting was normal? I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about it in the discussion page. I need to know what you all think. In the third and final part of this series, we are going to pick up from Roger's move to Santa Barbara and weave through the two torturous years that he spent there trying to hold together some semblance of normalcy in literally one of the most beautiful oceanside college towns in the state. And we're going to take it all the way to the end. And we will talk about the movement that seemed to be born of and inspired by Elliot Roger, the incel movement, the very chilling and a very real thing that we need to discuss. So please feel free to join the California Dreaming discussion page on Facebook. Join and like the pages. So there we discuss all of the topics that we go over in California Dreaming. We talk about the cases, current events, other true crime stories, other podcasts that we like, etc. You can also follow us on Twitter at CaliforniaPod and on Instagram at CaliforniaDreamingPod. California Dreaming has created a Patreon, and I again need to thank everyone who has been so kind as to donate to the show. Every little bit helps me bring you more and better content for you, and I'm doing all I can to make that happen. For as little as $1 a month, you can access all of the bonus original content on our Patreon page. 
and there is one item up there for a slightly higher tier level, but mostly everything on there is for everyone who jumps in at every level. This month so far, I've released my telling of the tale of Jonestown, the mass death of the People's Temple and Jim Jones followers in the South American country of Guyana. So if you're fascinated by that story, visit our Patreon page and sign up. And of course, if you would like to make a one-time donation to go towards the creation of this show, we also have a PayPal using our email, californiapod at yahoo.com. And thank you again so, so much for your continued support. All of the links are in the show notes. California Dreaming is brought to you by the Orbital Jigsaw Network. We are proud to be a part of an amazing group of podcasts, including The Concession Stand, Busted Wide Open, Super Nerds UK, Historium, 401 Owned, Vox Arcana, and The Podience. If you visit our website, you will find us all, as well as our blog and the merchandise store. There, California Dreaming has a couple of designs. So if you need a t-shirt or a coffee mug or a hoodie, phone case, pillow, tote bag, it's all on there. Check out the merchandise store on www.orbitaljigsaw.com and click on the links. Thank you again for joining me for the second part of the tale of the manifesto and the misogynist. Keep your eyes on your feed for the third and final part later on this week. And until next time, sweet dreams. This is Kim, your friendly neighborhood ER nurse. I'm the host of People Are Wild, the only podcast that claims to bring medical entertainment, medutainment, on a weekly basis. I can be found on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, and Google Play, and you can talk to me on Twitter at People Are Wild. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Katie. And together we're Yeah, yeah No, no yeah. yeah! We cover scary stories, urban legends, why aliens are boring, and the true crimes that laid the groundwork for modern folklore. We'll also make sure you fear dating, Tinder, and other such websites. Tune in. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And on our website, yeahnopodcast.com.